your moment to blow your own trumpet and show off. I want you to think of something that you are really good at. Okay? Something that you really excel at. Might be a musical instrument skill, might be a sporting uh, skill, might be something creative with your hands, might be a people skill, something you do at work. But just one thing that you've become really good at in your life. And just turn to the person next to you and very quickly tell them what that is. What am I really good at? Just something that I'm really good at. Don't take a long time over it, just tell them. How many of you, how many of you that was some sort of musical thing? Okay, how about a sporting thing? Anybody? How about something technical? How about something creative? Yeah, wow, look at that. Fantastic. I want you to think about the journey that you had from being incompetent at that skill to being competent. Okay? Because for all of us, as we learn to do stuff, we make this progression. You didn't start off being brilliant at it. You must have had some sort of a journey. And I want you to think what it took to get from incompetence to competence. Maybe that's something over just the last year or two. Maybe it's something over 10 years, over the whole of your life. And just chat to the person again next to you. And just two or three things that had to happen for you to become competent from being not competent. Do you get me? Do you understand? I'm interested in the process of growing from incompetency to competency in a certain skill or confidence. So just talk to the person next to you about what had to happen for you to get from one place to another. Okay. And if you, somebody brave, just wave a hand and shout out for me just one thing that had to happen for us, has to happen for us to get from incompetence to competency. Tell me something. Practice, thank you James. Anybody else say that? Who said practice? Okay, good. Something else? Patience, very good. Make mistakes, yes, good Pete. Role models, good. Teachers, some sort of teacher, yeah. Okay, somebody has to show you skills, yes. Passion, oh, that's a good one. Passion, okay, brilliant, thank you very much. Why did I ask you that? I have no idea. No, I do, really. Um, We are still considering, uh, under the overall theme of consecrate yourselves, uh, what it is to be set apart for God, what it is to be dedicated to God. I'm continuing from um, the talk I started last week on apprenticeship, what it is to be apprentices to Jesus. And I just do need to acknowledge um, that some of this work comes from a, a really great pastor called John Mark Comer. Uh, this isn't all my material, some of this is his. Um, what it is to be apprentices to Jesus. There's a passage in Mark chapter 8. It's a fairly well-known passage um, about discipleship. And it says, Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples. And he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to lose, save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Um, how, many, how many of you have heard that passage before or read it before? How many people agree with me that it sounds quite challenging? It's not a particularly sexy part of the Bible, is it, really? It's not something we can sort of, you know, sell and put on Instagram, take up your cross, die to yourself. It doesn't sound amazing, does it? But that's actually the essence of what discipleship is. Um, What are disciples? What are apprentices? Apprentices to Jesus are those who have chosen to walk intentionally alongside him and learn from him so they can do the things he did. And I introduced this topic last week, and I talked about how the word apprentice is probably a better translation in our current culture than the word disciple, because I think it better gets, for us anyway, in our culture, what the Bible is talking about 
when it's describing the people who were close around Jesus and who were actively following him and learning from him, um, as apart from the crowds who were also around Jesus who were just kind of there but were not really sure what they were doing or where they were at. Some of them were for him, some of them were against him. In some cultures, the word discipleship or being discipled has become associated with something that's done to you rather than something that you do or something you are. So for example, in some churches, discipleship means one-to-one mentoring, or it means leadership training. And both of those things are really valuable and really important, but neither of them really describes what Jesus was talking about when he talked about, um, in reference to the disciples who are around him. So with both of those examples, the disciple, in terms of a mentoring relationship or a training relationship, the disciple is the recipient And the responsibility for growth seems to be at the foot of the teacher. It seems to be the teacher's or the mentor's responsibility to make the disciple into something. You are being discipled. But the word disciple isn't a verb, it's a noun. A a disciple is not something you do. Disciple is something you are or something you become. And being a disciple in the Jewish tradition or even going further back in the Greek tradition... It means that you're a person who is actively doing the learning. You are following somebody. And there's this whole tradition that Jesus was sort of tapping into of sort of teachers or leaders or gurus and their disciples, the disciples being the ones who were doing the following. And so the Greek word most used in the New Testament, it it can translate as disciple, which was what they were using. Then it may translate better as a student or a follower, or I think the best word is apprentice. And as I said last week, an apprentice is someone who's learning from a master. It implies a journey alongside the master. It implies working together in close proximity. And it implies an end goal. The apprentice is going to graduate at some point. They are going to become like their master. They're going to do this for themselves. They're going to do for themselves the things that their master can do. And um, after last week, Mal was chatting to me and telling me that many years ago, he was an apprentice electrician for five years. And that in his company where he worked, there were a number of masters, electricians, and then there were a number of apprentices. And each master had an apprentice and they were attached and they worked with the same guy for five years. And they learned everything from this guy. In fact, Mal was telling me they learned so much. They were so close working together that at the end of that five years you could go and look at the work an apprentice had done and you could look at it and say oh I can tell who your master is because they were so close to what they've been taught that's right isn't it Mal yeah that's what you said to me brilliant so apprentices to Jesus have three goals and uh, I want to I introduced this last week I want to unpack it a bit more today The, the goals that apprentices to Jesus have are to be with Jesus to become like him and to do the things he did. And I want to take some time to look at each of those in a little more detail this morning. The first goal of apprenticeship is being with Jesus. The first goal of discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus is learning to live in a constant state of awareness and connection to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. Apprentices start off by just being with their master. And I am... showed you this passage last week, but I think it's fantastic, and I want to show it you again. And it's from Matthew 11, and it's in the message version, and it's where Jesus says this to his, the crowds around him. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. 
I won't lay anything heavy on you or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. The translation that probably most people know better of that verse from the NIV says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And when he says yoke, he's talking about this thing back in their culture. A yoke is the wooden frame that joins two animals together, usually oxen who are working and pulling heavy loads and it's to join them together. But it's used as a metaphor for being attached to somebody else and basically controlled by them. And a common metaphor in the day of Jesus in Judaism was that you were yoked to the law. The law being uh, all of the law in the Old Testament plus all of the interpretations of the law that the Pharisees would put, on, would put on the people. They would put extensive rules and it became a burden, but it was the way to live. It was crushing, but it was the way to live. It was the only way to live. And so there was this sense that we were yoked to the law. And Jesus is tapping into that and he's saying, you don't need to be yoked to something that's a really heavy, oppressive burden on you. You just need to be yoked to me. My yoke, he says, is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so he's contrasting this yoke with that yoke and he's saying, discipleship, walking with me, that's why I love what Eugene Peterson writes in that message translation. I think he gets it absolutely right. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. You see, an invitation to trust Jesus personally and to be with him is not just to believe certain historical facts about him. It's actually to experience his peace. Actually to experience his rest. This rest for ourselves. It's knowing the physical, the emotional, the mental and the spiritual rest in a way that really makes a difference. That's the kind of rest I think that many of us and certainly many of the people in our world are desperate for. I've read this quote before, but you know Billy Graham, who's a really well-known preacher who um, died recently, he said this, um, describing the experiences from 60 years of travelling around the USA. He said, in my travels about the country, I've sensed unrest in almost every phase of our modern-day living. This changeable, unsettled, roving, transient Sleepless and fidgety spirit is due primarily to the restlessness of the human heart and its separation from the Christ of tranquility and peace. Billy Graham is tapping into something there. He's describing this unrest, this sense that, he's, that, that goes on, that's around there for people for, who, for whatever reason, aren't able to tap into the rest that Jesus is talking about, the kind of walk, the kind of yoking, the kind of discipleship that he's talking about. As I was thinking about that, it reminded me of a, a famous um, Bruce Springsteen song, Everybody's Got a Hungry Heart. Everybody needs a place to rest. Everybody wants to have a home. And again, he's tapping into something there. And the first of Jesus' disciples simply spent time hanging out with Jesus. That was the first act of discipleship. It wasn't to go and do anything, although that did come later. It was just, just come be with me. Walk with me. Eat with me. Laugh with me. And we'll minister together. They were doing life together in the same space. And so being an apprentice to Jesus is about staying connected to him. It's about living with him front and centre of our lives. And somebody else put it like this. It's about practising the presence of God. It's about abiding in him. 
It's about staying connected to Jesus in every circumstance. And that's even harder in the digital age, isn't it? This is a quote from a guy called Dallas Willard. The first and most basic thing we can and must do is keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. In the early time of practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. But these are habits, not the law of gravity, and they can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. Isn't that a lovely phrase to think about? And so just in the, as in the same way you were describing earlier what it took to go from incompetence to competence in whatever skill it was that you were talking about that you've become good at, there was a time when you weren't very good at that. There was a time when I couldn't play the piano, just sit down and play naturally. But over many, many years of just kind of training and practicing, it became second nature. So now it's just you sit down and you just do it. And it's the same with you for whatever skill it is that you do. Some of you can run marathons. We're not worthy. <laughs> I can run for about two or three minutes at the minute without stopping, right? But some people can run for two and three hours without stopping. Well, you don't go from zero to marathon, do you? Even, even you clever people can't do that. You have to train, okay? Even you fit people, okay? You have to train. It has to, you know, you start, if you started to run the marathon with no training, you'd just die and throw up and <laughs> whatever, you, you know, or stop. But as you increase the training, it becomes second nature. It becomes a habit. It becomes a habit. And it's the same with pointing our minds back to the presence of Jesus. That's what Dallas Willard is talking about here. He's saying sometimes we lose the way. We don't come in naturally towards God. We, our minds go somewhere else. We think about other things. But as we keep practicing, as we keep God at the forefront of our minds... We, so, we, so we keep coming back to him and keeping God at the forefront of our minds, keeping his presence front and center so that we are literally with him all the time. That's a challenge, but it is possible. I don't know what your methods are. There are various pathways that will get you there, are various practices that can help. Stuff like science, science, not science, silence and science, um, nature. Maybe art gets you there. Maybe music gets you there. Maybe reading the Bible is your pathway to, into the presence of God, or just worshipping, or maybe studying. For me, there's two or three things that I love to do. I don't do them regularly enough, but I know that when I do them, they will help me get back into the presence of God. One of them is uh, reading the daily office, I'm just reading some prayers. One of them is the prayer of examine, that always helps. One is just journaling, sitting down and writing down my thoughts and my feelings, helping me just really clear my head and express what's going on. And another way for me is just I have certain playlists of certain songs that just put me back in the presence of God, depending on what my mood is. So it's in practicing the presence of God and remaining in him that we get to grow to be more like him, that we get to be more fruitful. You know the verse from John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you remain in me, then, and I remain in you, then you bear much fruit. It's as we remain in God's presence that we can do the things that we do, that we become fruitful. It's also as we stay close to the presence of God and we stay with Jesus front and centre that our identity in him is reinforced. 
What do I mean by that? I mean, again and again, we're reminded of who we really are and what that really means for us. Therefore, 2 Corinthians says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Can you move that on for me, Matt, please? Has it stuck? There we go. Um, The new creation has come and the old has gone. The Bible says that when we choose to put our life and our trust in Jesus, we become a new, literally a new creation. And it's so easy to forget who we are and who we've become. The fact that we are created in God's image, the fact that we are saints, not sinners, the fact that we are sons and daughters of the king who sit beside him and get access to everything he has. You know, my children know who they are. And they know what they can ask me for. And in my case, because I'm a bit of a soft touch, they can ask me for most things. Okay? And it's the same for all of us with God. Guys, could you give out, um, Paul, could you help? And Joe, can you help? You can give out those handouts. There are some handouts here, and they're sort of extra, extra bits for this morning. Um, on there is a list of um, promises from the Bible that come actually from the Freedom in Christ course. We are accepted. The Bible says we are secure and we have significance. And on one side of that sheet, there is a whole list of things. That's just for you to take home and use for reference. A whole bunch of verses from the Bible that I don't have time to go into now, but which really sum up. If you are ever wondering who it is God says you are, if you're ever doubting your value or your worth or your identity in God, then here's just one way of meditating on some verses that will really help us to remember that actually, you know, God says we are accepted and we are secure and we are significant. You know, um, in our family, there aren't many programs that we all sit down that really work for all the different age kids we've got. We all sit and watch together. But one of them is a program called Hunted. Has anybody else watched Hunted on Channel 4? Has anybody else watched Celebrity Hunted? Okay, okay. We were watching Celebrity Hunted. Okay, now I don't really recognise any of the celebrities from Celebrity Hunting because I don't know what I'm talking about. And we were watching the series from last year. And there were two guys on there who I think they were celebrities because they'd been on a programme called Made in Chelsea. I've never seen Made in Chelsea, so I wouldn't know. But it was fairly clear that these two fellas were confident, quite breezy. I think I might just go as far as saying they're a little bit arrogant. Okay. They were the type of person who was in it for the game. Oh, we can beat these hunters. You know, we can do this and we can do that. And we can, they were quite bold and they were quite brash. And they treated the whole thing as a big game and they had a big network of people, all with very posh cars. And they were able to... Do you, do you know what the, by the way, do you know what Hunted is? Okay, sorry, for those of you who don't know what it is, it's a kind of game where they have to stay off the radar. They have to stay in the country, um, but they have to stay off the radar. And there's a team of ex army and ex-police who are tracking them and they can track them by their phones and their phone networks, they can tap into this and they can follow the car number plates and it's actually pretty hard to hide in the UK and not talk to anybody in any of your networks. So anyway, this is the game that they're playing and uh, and these guys are very bold and brash and um, it's probably 10 or 11 days in to this and um, just had a really, uh, the camera caught a rare moment of honest reflection from one of these chaps who'd been spending this whole time breezing about going, we can do this, we can sort this. And it had been quite a stressful day and they'd been sort of playing cat and mouse with these hunters and they would, and um, the camera caught, caught onto him and he was just in tears. And he said, uh, I just hope this next plan works out. He said, you never know what's going to happen. And then he said this thing that made me stop in my tracks. He just said it off the cuff. He said, I just hope I've done enough to make my parents proud of me. And I went, 
stop that! <laughs> I hit the pause button and I was watching with my kids and I said, listen, kids. I've said this to you before, but I'm going to take this opportunity to say it again. You can never do more or less to make us proud of you. It is not about what you do. It's about who you are. I mean, okay, if you do great stuff, great. We'll, we'll celebrate. We'll rejoice. But I said to them, I've said this to you before, never, ever, ever, ever doubt what we think of as parents, what we think about you. I don't ever want my kids to get to grown up and wonder if their parents are proud of them or not. My kids went, yeah, 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 Dad, whatever, lecture over, move on. <laughs> Come on. I said, <laughs> no, stop there. I was going to make a flippant comment about boarding school education, but I'm not going to do that. Um, anyway, I, when you see kids, you can see, quite often you can see which family they belong to, can't you? And it's not just the way they look, although that's sometimes it, it's kind of the way they act. Because as kids grow up, parents invest in them, teach them, reinforce family values, reinforce identity. This is who we are. This is what we do in our family. This is what's important to us. And it's the same with us and Jesus. Because as sons and daughters of Jesus, we have been created in his image, in the image of God, to carry his authority and presence. And so being with Jesus, practicing the presence of God, being with him front and center, the first goal of apprenticeship and discipleship, we do that and we get to look and act more like our dad when we've been with him. Do you get what I'm saying? So how aware are we of his presence today? How much are you looking or sounding like Jesus today? There's a question to reflect on. There's a question to reflect on. The first goal of apprenticeship is to be like Jesus. The second goal of apprenticeship is to become like Jesus. Becoming like Jesus. Ephesians uh, 4 and 14 to 16, a couple of verses here from Ephesians, talks about growing up. It says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, move it on one for me, Matt. The next bit says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is in Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The second goal of apprenticeship is to become like Jesus. There is a maturity involved. There is a growing involved. The goal, as I said at the beginning, the goal of every apprentice is to become like the master. And Jesus is a master at living. You know, some people think that Jesus is only really worth focusing on because he's the saviour who shows us how to die. And it is true. And some Christian groups have focused on that so much over the years that they've lost sight of what he teaches about life and living. Jesus is the most incredible teacher who teaches us how to live. The Gospels are full of his teaching. The Sermon on the Mount particularly is full of radical, radical life-changing teaching on how to live. An apprenticeship to Jesus means learning his teaching. It means looking at that, studying it, and thinking about how to apply it to our lives so that we actually become the kind of people who are like him. You know, do you know when Jesus says, don't worry, do you know what he means? In the, in the words of my teenagers, they've got a phrase that they say that's at this point. Does he actually? I say, yes, he actually does. 
When Jesus says don't worry, he means don't worry. Being like Jesus, living his life, means living, being anxiety-free and stress-free. It means not being in a hurry. It means having the power over the demonic. It means having the power to heal the sick. It means not being racked by lust and greed. It means being content with the food and clothing that I have. It means not being interested in possessions and stuff and lifestyle. It means finding it easy to love my enemy instead of hating them. It means never being jealous or greedy or selfish about anything. It means in every situation being the most emotionally present and the most emotionally mature person in the room. Every situation. That's what Jesus is like. That's what it means. And so when the rubber hits the road, that's what I'm shooting for. I'm not there yet, by the way, just in case you thought I might be saying that I am. It takes work and training. It doesn't happen automatically. We talked a whole heap earlier in this year about emotional maturity, about what it is to be spiritually and emotionally mature. We talked about honesty. We talked about breaking free from the past. We talked about making really good choices when really bad things happen. And it just can't happen in solitary confinement. It needs community. We need community to do that. We need people on the journey with us. There is training involved. Joe's going to look at how this happens and some practical stuff about how that shakes down a bit more next week. But one thing that we did talk about back in the Emotional Maturity Series was about the rule of life. And again, on the back of your sheet, on the other side of your sheet, just as a reminder, really, there is um, just some pointers again on what it is to have a rule of life, what it is to have a plan to do life well, a plan to relate well to Jesus. And again, there are some things to think through there. And um, there's some stuff, you can listen back to that talk from earlier in the year. It's all on the website if you, uh, if you search it up. So the first goal of apprenticeship is to be with Jesus. And the second goal is to be like him or become like him. And the third goal of apprenticeship is to do the things that Jesus did. And as we are becoming like Jesus, we continue the work that he started. He started out this incredible kingdom vision for our whole world. And he encouraged us and invited us, trained us and invited us to crack on and keep it going, to make, to make it happen. What does that look like in real terms? Well, here's a list of all the things that we read that Jesus did. Okay, I flagged this up last week again. Here is a list of the things that Jesus did specifically in the Gospels that we read about, the things that Jesus did by way of bringing God's kingdom on earth. He preached the gospel and he taught the gospel, the Bible, taught the way of Jesus. He taught truth. He healed the sick and he cast out demons. He ate and drank with those who were far from God. That was a big one for Jesus. He deliberately didn't hang out with the religious people. In fact, he was, most of his enemies were the religious people. He hung out with the people who were far from religion. And again, he, he did justice. He was a peacemaker. He prayed and he prophesied and he stood up against religious and against political corruption. And this is what in Vineyard we call, we give it a very catchy title, we call it the stuff. Okay? We call it the stuff. This is the stuff that we're called to do. The stuff, this is our job description. 
If you wanted to uh, write, if you, some of you who are into this sort of thing, if you wanted to write a training program with a bunch of tick boxes alongside, you know, so to move from com incompetence to competence, here's the apprenticeship training program. Um, here are the modules, okay? Ten modules on the training program. Take them one at a time. Learn them over the next um, month, year, whatever, okay? And graduate from the program as an apprentice to Jesus. These are learning objectives. And you might look at those and you might think, I don't think any of those are possible for me. You might think, there, you probably right now are looking at thinking, well, yeah, maybe, maybe, but there is no way on earth that I could ever do dot, dot, dot. Come on, put your hand up. Be honest with me. How many of you looked at that and went, yeah, maybe, maybe, but not that one, not never? Who's that? Who, come on, be honest with me. The rest of you are lying. No, I'm, I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm telling you that this stuff is possible. Jesus makes it possible. And in fact, it's what makes life with Jesus so exciting. And yes, it takes practice. And yes, it takes courage. And yes, it might cost us some time and some energy and some money. It might even cost us our dignity. But what an adventure. The adventure of apprenticeship and discipleship to Jesus. These things are entirely possible. Last Sunday evening, um, Amy, who I don't think is here now, was praying for Catherine's foot at the end of the evening and something happened. God did something, didn't he? Is that right? No pain. Pain went, just like that. Just as a matter of our evening service. Two weeks ago, some of us were out on the streets. I know, uh, where's Dan? I've seen you around. Yeah, you guys were out on the streets and some other of us were out on the streets and we were praying for people and we were bringing, just doing some simple basic stuff. Ordinary people like you and me are doing this stuff today. Yeah? This isn't something that stopped at the end of Jesus' time. This is now. And Jesus' disciples went on that journey from incompetence to competence. You know, you can read about it. You know, Jesus, when he first met them, look at Luke 5, uh, right at the start of um, Jesus' um, just put it on for me, Matt. I'm sorry this thing stopped working, so you'll just have to help me out here. Uh, I'm saying that, and there isn't a slide. I'm lying. Forgive me. Forget that. Leave that up. That's fine. Um, in Luke 5, uh, there is a story where Jesus is teaching, and then you know this story. And uh, what happens is he um, shouts out to these fishermen. He says, Oi, have you caught anything? They say, No. He says, Well, put your, put your net out on the other side, and you'll catch something. And the fisherman looks at him, Simon, Peter, and says, well, we've worked hard all night, and we look like fishermen, and you don't. And we didn't catch anything then, so what makes you think we're going to catch something now? But because you say so, he says, I'll let down the nets. And he lets down the nets, and you know the story. Suddenly, they catch this whole number of fish. So many, they have to get another boat to come and help them drag it in. I would say that those disciples were, at best, naive, maybe at worst, disbelieving and cynical, but clearly something about the way Jesus spoke to them, something about the authority with which he carried himself, made them think, okay, well, I'll comply with your stupid, idiotic, crazy request. Yeah? And yet they went on a journey from that to five chapters later, in Luke 10, Jesus sends out 72. He says, go pray for people, heal the sick, preach the gospel, go do the stuff. They come back, this is Luke 10, 17, five chapters later. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. How cool is that? So the disciples have gone on a journey from incompetence to competence, and we can do the same. Our Kenyan team were out just two or three weeks ago. They're going to tell some stories in the next couple of weeks about what God was doing there. 
out there doing the stuff, preaching, praying for people, healing, prophecy. It's happening. It's happening everywhere. And so the disciples or the apprentices of Jesus are called to number one, be with him, number two, become like him, and number three, do the things that he did. I just want to talk about one more thing. We've used this phrase uh, in the past, and I'm not sure that we've really talked about it much in the last year or two, certainly not from the front. And the phrase is, um, the concept is of trusted rulers. Now, what do I mean by trusted rulers? Trusted rulers are people who have got three things sorted out. They know their identity, they know their authority, and they have clarity over their assignment. So in other words, a trusted ruler is someone who knows who they are, knows the authority that they carry, and knows where they have been sent and what they are called to do. Now I'm going to tell you a secret. It's a pastor's secret. Don't tell anyone. Every pastor's secret is that actually, if you want to build a really great church, okay, and pastors all dream about big churches and loads of people and loads of activities and stuff, momentum and stuff happening, the easiest way to do it, move on for me, Matt, is to, is to go and look for skilled, supportive servants. Okay, so on this side, you've got the skilled, supportive servants triangle. On that side, you've got the trusted rulers triangle. What do I mean by that? Well, serving is a really good thing. It's a biblical principle. It's very important. And we have loads of wonderful people here who serve in all kinds of ways. Some of them are seen. Some of them are unseen. But as a leader, the most tempting thing is to go look for people who are gifted, okay, skilled, people who like you and share your vision supportive, and people who are willing to make sacrifices and give some time and energy to help bring it about, servants. There's nothing wrong with having skilled, supportive servants as a leader. If you have plenty of these kind of people, you can get everyone to buy into your vision. You know, if we have skilled worship leaders and skilled welcome teams and fantastic administrators and um, gifted life group leaders and brilliant gatherers and evangelists and some great pastors, if we have enough of all those people, we can build a great church. But that's not kind of what I see in Jesus. I don't see that Jesus' apprentices were simply skilled, supportive servants, just there to help him carry out his vision. I think it goes further than that. You see, I think they were trusted rulers. I think Jesus' apprentices were trusted rulers who were enabled and empowered by Jesus to go in his name with his authority, but to go autonomously into everyday situations and see the power of God transform lives and communities, just like we have been doing, and some of us continue to do all the time. See, we're not here to build a great church anyway. God, building the church is God's job. What we want to do is look at what God is doing outside of the church, in our world, in our cities, in our streets, in our communities, in our neighbourhoods, in our schools, in our playgrounds, in our offices. We want to see what God is doing. We want to see what the story is. We want to see what God's who he's pursuing there and how we get involved. And if we can become trusted rulers who know their identity, who are clear on their assignment and who know the authority with which they act, then we will see the world change. Are you with me on this? Does this make sense to you? Because it makes sense to me. Yeah? It's actually not new. It's just New Testament. It's just what they did then in the Bible. And so going back to being apprentices, spending time with Jesus reinforces our identity. Just move it on one for me, Matt. Spending time with Jesus, being with Jesus, reinforces our identity. Becoming like Jesus reinforces, it helps us grow in our authority. And doing the things, learning to do the things Jesus did means that getting clarity 
in what we're assigned to, what we're called to do, where we're called to be. And apprentices to Jesus need to become trusted rulers who will go out knowing that they, are, they have the authority, they, they, they carry Jesus' authority with them into the environment and we're going to change the world. I know it doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen through consistent, intentional discipleship. So many years ago, I trained to be a primary school teacher. Okay, big up the teachers here. Come on. During my training, I will never forget the first time I stood in front of a class for myself. In fact, I actually didn't stand in front of them. I stood in front of them with my back to them, writing on the board, pretending to write on the board, trying to get the courage up to actually turn around and face them, thinking, I've never done this before. Being a student teacher for me was about learning the different skills I needed to work in the classroom. And obviously you do that by working alongside experienced and qualified teachers. You help them and you watch them and you observe them and you discuss with them. And then you do the switch as you start to do the lessons and they watch you and they help you and they observe you and they feed back to you and you learn and grow that way. But training to be a primary school teacher for me was not just about, not just about learning skills. That was part of it. But it was just as much, if not more about growing in authority. It was about me having the confidence to step up in front of a class of 30 kids and actually speak and act like I had the authority in the room. Do you get me? I mean, I had it on paper. I was the teacher. When I became a teacher, I was the teacher. So I had the authority on paper. But as we know, not all teachers can act out the authority that they have on paper. We all know about that, don't we? Yeah? They can't necessarily exercise the authority. So I learned through doing it and through the feedback and support of others. I had a fantastic mentor, I had a great boss, and basically grew into the job. And that's how it works with discipleship to Jesus. We spend time with him, we work at learning his teaching, we become more like him. And we do the things he did. And in the words of Coldplay, nobody said it was easy. In fact, I reminded you of this verse right at the start of this talk, Mark 8, 34 again. That when he called the crowd, he said, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. But it doesn't stop there. He then says, because if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. And if you lose your life for me and for the gospel, then you'll save it. So that message doesn't sell. It's not, oh, it's not, it's not, glorious. It's not glorious. It's not funky. But the cost of it cost isn't at the end of that verse. It doesn't stop with whoever wants to be my disciple must take up his cross and follow me. Stop. There is a reason. The reason is, do you want to save your life or do you want to lose it? It actually might be harder not to practice the way of Jesus than to practice it. It actually might be that the cost of not following him is even greater than the cost of following him. Does that make sense? So I've given you um, some questions on the bottom of your sheet. And I would love you to take a moment to look at them. Actually, ju just before I do that, just flick on to the next one from Matt. One, uh, one of the, um, I touched on this last week. If you are somebody who wants to move from being in the crowd around Jesus to being in the group of committed apprentices, there are three things that I suggest you do. One of them is to make a public declaration of faith. If you haven't been baptised, that would be a really good way to start. 
Another thing is to join a community of apprentices. Join a group of people who are on the same journey as you. Now, that might not look like this church. You don't have to be in this church. You can go and find another church that works for you or whatever. But if you are in this church, it really looks like joining a life group. Okay, Because it isn't really possible to do this kind of community life in a big group like this. Okay, And so just a bit of a heads up, because um, if you're not in a life group already, or even if you are, and we've planned something pretty special for the new year. Um, in January, when we do our life group sign-up month, normally what happens is our life groups run for three months and we have a month pause. So the next one, we pause in September to do sign-ups and we're going to pause in January. Well, during sign-up month in January, we're going to run something special and new. Just for three Wednesday nights, we're going to call it Life Group Goes Large. Okay, and we're going to invite anybody who wants to come, anybody who's in a life group already, who's not in a life group, who's been in a life group before, who just wants to find out more, to come and experience life group for yourself in a big way. We'll be in, we'll be on mass, but we'll be in small groups. Okay, we're going to eat together, we're going to share together, we're going to pray together. It'll be about building community, about sharing lives, and about exploring apprenticeship to Jesus. So if you're thinking, oh, I don't know about life groups, it's kind of, I'm not sure if it really works for me, just come for three weeks. It's on Wednesdays. We'll give you the dates next week. We'll announce it all. But just make a mental note. Wednesday nights in January, life group goes large. And we're going to just really kind of look at how we can, as a whole church, just explore what it is to really build community such that we are with other people who want to be apprentices to Jesus. So that was the second part. And the third thing is to systematically reorganise your life to be more like Jesus. Just do it. Just like that. It's easy. (laughs) This is the everyday apprenticeship discipleship process. This is the practices and the disciplines that I've been talking about. And just one other heads up on next year. And you may have heard me talk about this already, but in 2019, we are going to do something which we are calling the Year of Biblical Literacy. And that is what it says on the tin. It's a year of biblical literacy. We are going to engage with and practice reading the Bible. And through it, we are going to understand and grow as apprentices to Jesus and how that that we're going to do a whole bunch of things but basically what that means is we're going to start in January and we're going to work our way through the Bible for the whole year there's a number of layers you can do it on you can do it on a personal layer you could read the whole Bible through in a year there are apps and plans and all sorts of stuff that you could do we're going to do it in small groups okay there'll be time to discuss stuff and read stuff together we'll be doing it on Sundays our sermon themes will take us through certain books and certain things. We won't, obviously can't preach on every single passage in the Bible, but we will be working our way through. And then there'll also be some lectures, some educational, some, we'll just invite three or four guest speakers through the year to come and take us a little bit deeper as well. And again, that's just something that we're doing to help us to consider how we continually, systematically restructure, reorganise our lives to be more like Jesus. Yeah? That's what it's about. Now, why don't you turn... To those questions, can you put the questions slide on for me, please, Matt? Um, and why don't we take a couple of minutes now, as I invite the Holy Spirit? Can you just, yeah, there we go. Thank you. Just some questions for personal reflection. And as you look through these, why don't you just ask? Why don't we just ask the Holy Spirit even now to start speaking to us? And it may be that one of these questions sparks something for you. You don't have to answer them all now. You may want to take them home and think about them. But just in this moment. As we, as we come to our close this morning, where are you on the spectrum between crowd and apprentice? Where do you think you are on that spectrum? Give yourself a score if you like.
what, what would be some next steps that we could take on our apprenticeship journey? Are there any spiritual practices or disciplines that could help us to grow to be more like Jesus in this season? For example, it might be something like fasting or keeping silence regularly or taking time for solitude or the daily office or reading the Bible or keeping Sabbath. Another question to reflect on, where are we currently experiencing genuine community? I don't know why it says king there. Sorry about that. Another typo. What might be a next step to develop our functional membership in this church? Remember I talked about functional membership and how to be part of the community here, it's about just coming, Sundays, life groups, joining a team. By the way, thank you. Last week we had well over 30 people sign up for teams. It's amazing, so thank you for that. If you didn't get the chance, come and see Joe afterwards and she'll help you sign up for one. And if you did sign up and you haven't already heard back, you'll hear from us soon. But what might be the next step to develop functional membership? And lastly, we're coming up to Christmas. What could we do in the run-up to Christmas just to keep Jesus the focus of this season? Why don't we just take a minute and I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you that you lead us and you guide us. You know, you're sometimes called the Spirit of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, you come and you lead us to Jesus. You lead us to the Father. And you lead us into all truth. And so I pray that as we reflect on these questions in this morning's talk, that you would speak right into our hearts. And for each of us, there may be one or maybe one or two actions just to take right now that you're talking to us about. So speak, speak those words of life, we pray. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You're not, you don't come to condemn us, but you come to convict us, you come to challenge us, you come to lovingly move us further on in our journey with you. And Lord, that's what we want to do. We want to be apprentice to Jesus and we want to take the next steps.